18. John 18. And we're going to read verses 28 through 38. John 18, 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which He spoke, signifying by what death He would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to Him, Are you the King of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning Me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. At all. Would you pray with me again? Lord, we thank you for your word. Make it live to us. Open our eyes that we may see. That we may behold wondrous things in your law. May your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. And I pray that your word would do its work, the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. When we uh, think about this man named Pilate, uh, he's really only known for one thing. And that's his role in the crucifixion of Jesus as we've begun to consider in the text this morning. You'll remember in the passage we considered last week, the scenes keep bouncing back and forth. We started with the arrest of Jesus. Then we saw Peter deny Jesus the first time. And then we went back to seeing Jesus before Annas. And then he was sent to Caiaphas. And then the scene again shifted back to Peter as he denied Jesus twice more. 
And John doesn't record all of the details about Jesus' religious trial, his appearing before Caiaphas. But the text picks up today in John's record with him being led from Caiaphas to Pilate. And Pilate's mentioned in all four Gospels. He's mentioned three times in the book of Acts and once in 1 Timothy. And every time that Pilate comes up in the text of Scripture, it only has to do with his questioning and sentencing of Jesus. What a thing to be known for. But there are some things that we can know about Pilate from extra-biblical history that I think helps us understand his actions that are recorded in the Gospels. After all, Pilate did conclude, I find no fault in this man at all. How could Pilate go from no fault at all to crucify him? How could he be so apparently weak? How could he bend so easily to the will of the people? Him, a Roman governor. A little background on Pilate, he was appointed by the emperor to be the governor over Judea in AD 26. And to be appointed as governor over Judea was not the job that everyone wanted to have. It was not a desirable position because the Jews were known for protesting Rome's rule. They weren't the people who just willingly bowed to the emperor and said, yes, you're making our lives better. Yes, everything's great under your empire. We submit. No, the Jews were known for their protests. Trying to put his foot down early on, Pilate brought these images of the emperor into Jerusalem. He wanted to make a statement early on in his rule. Well, the Jews, of course, were offended that Pilate would bring these images of the emperor into their holy city. So they basically staged a sit-in. They protested by surrounding the praetorium, Pilate's house, and filling the streets and just sitting down for five days. Five days they sat in the streets. They surrounded Pilate's home. So Pilate, after these five days, calls in the troops And threatens to behead them if they don't get up and move. Well, you might think that that would work. But the Jews, to Pilate's surprise, rather than getting up and going back about their lives, they simply laid down where they were and stretched their necks out. We dare you, Pilate. Take off all our heads. They called his bluff. So, Pilate gave in. He removed the images from the city. Later on, he tried again by bringing these shields that had the emperor's image on it and bringing them into the holy place. Obviously, that offended the Jews. So, Herod and his four sons sent a protest, not to Pilate, but they went above Pilate and went to the emperor. They went straight to the emperor with their protest. So the emperor sends word back to Pilate, says, Respect their religious freedom. Get those out of there. Don't cause any trouble. I'm sure that sat well with Pilate. 
So he removed the shields. Later on, Pilate took treasure from the temple so he could build an aqueduct into the city. The Jews protested that again, of course, and Pilate this time ordered his soldiers to go into the crowd and club people to death. And he did. He killed many of the Jews. And then icing on the cake, when he got to choose what image would be on the coins that were made for use in the city, he decided to put some pagan idols on the coins. So all this to say, one, Pilate did not have a good relationship with the Jews. And also, he didn't want it to look bad on him if they sent word to the emperor to protest. Because of all this, Pilate was weak. He was under political pressure, trying to maintain that balance of keeping the Jews under his thumb, but not having to have protests sent to the emperor and be chastised from above. He didn't see fighting for the life of Jesus as worth the trouble of word getting back to the emperor about unrest in Jerusalem. And so with that background in mind, we come to our text of the story that we're familiar with in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. The praetorium was the governor's home in Jerusalem. Now his permanent residence was in Caesarea, but he did have a home in Jerusalem as well. And usually the governor, Pilate, and those who were before him would come and stay in that home in Jerusalem during feasts and festivals to to make sure there weren't any attempted uprisings, no riots, no unrest. Especially during this time of the Passover, the Jews had that anticipation. And it was heightened during the Passover of their, the coming of their Messiah. That their King would come, that He would deliver them from Rome. So especially during the Passover, the governor would come to this praetorium, this headquarters in Jerusalem. It was early morning. But they themselves, the Jews that is, did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now when you think about that for a minute, the hypocrisy really is astounding. They're on their way to deliver an innocent man to be put to death, murdered, But they're not going to go into the governor's headquarters so that they're not defiled and they can participate in the Passover. The hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders taking care to keep themselves clean outwardly by keeping this man-made addition to God's law all while they're plotting murder. The Jews thought it unclean to go into a Gentile's house. This was the feast of the Passover. The high priests had to keep themselves clean because the feast lasted a whole week. They couldn't participate and carry out their duties if they were considered unclean. So according to their oral law, that which they had added to God's law, they couldn't go into a Gentile home because they might accidentally come in contact with something that was unclean. They're trying to maintain this outward appearance of righteousness, but inwardly they are filthy. 
Jesus criticized this attitude of the Pharisees earlier in his ministry. Matthew 23, he said, You blind guides, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. You're over here gagging on this gnat that flew into your mouth, but then you turn around and swallow a camel whole. You want to keep yourself clean by not going into the Gentile's house, but you're putting an innocent man to death. In the same chapter, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This was the problem with the Pharisees all along. They, all along, they were concerned with their outward appearance, their outward righteousness, their adherence to the law as far as man could see. But their hearts were unclean. Paul addressed the same problem in 2 Timothy 3. He spoke of those in the last days who, who would have a form of godliness, but deny its power. See, it's easy for us to look back on the Pharisees and what they were doing and say, those guys were idiots. Of course that was wrong. Why would they even try to do that? Hypocrites. But that's all religion. That's not just the Jews, but I'm afraid that exists even in good Southern Baptist churches. Concern for the outward appearance of religion, making sure that we're doing everything right on the outside, making sure we maintain that good testimony with the Christian brothers. But inwardly, full of sin and unrighteousness. I'm just going to be honest with you, that's my salvation testimony. I'm a preacher's kid. I went to Christian school 13 years. That includes kindergarten. I didn't get... Yeah. I've been to church my entire life, as they say, since nine months before I was born. Went to Sunday school, memorized all my Bible verses, kicked all the other kids' tail in Bible trivia. Nobody had anything on this one. I looked right, I talked right, I knew my stuff, I dressed right, I behaved right in the church. Outside, I was a beautiful, whitewashed tomb. But what's inside a tomb? Death. Stink. I was a sinner. God saved me from that. When I became a Christian, God didn't save me from all my running out in the world, my problem with alcohol, my drug addiction, you know, running around with prostitutes. God didn't save me from that kind of stuff. He saved me from something that might be worse self righteousness. I wonder. How many of us outwardly look like we have it all together? We look like we're good, godly Christian folk. But inwardly, sin abounds. 
That was the problem with the Pharisees. Got to keep the Passover. Got to remain ceremonially clean. By the way, let's put this guy to death. No, he didn't do anything wrong, but let's kill him. He threatens our power. Verse 29, Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? This might be the first legal thing that's happened in Jesus' trial. He actually came out and asked for charges. Jesus has been tried all night by the religious leaders. No witnesses, just their own charges brought against him. He was beaten and mocked. Pilate comes out and says, what are your charges? Verse 30, they answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. You can just feel the love between the Jews and Pilate, can't you? Why do you think we brought him to you, Pilate? Obviously, he's done something wrong. Take care of him. It's almost like they just assume Pilate's going to take their word for it and deal with their problem. You know, he's, he's let us take those soldiers to go arrest him in the garden. May, you know, surely he's just going to take our word for it here. This guy's an evildoer. Get rid of him. Verse 31, Pilate says, take him, judge him according to your law. Pilate doesn't see this as anything more than this, this internal Jewish squabble. Over some religious matter. Take him, judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Oh, now they're getting to the point. They want the death penalty. See, Rome, when they conquered a nation, and even among the Jews here, they took away that nation's right to carry out capital punishment. They were not allowed to execute anyone without Rome's approval. Rome prided themselves in their executions. The Jews acknowledged that. They say it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Not that they took that into consideration when they took up stones to kill Jesus a few chapters ago. Not that that seemed to bother them when Stephen preached in the book of Acts. They stoned him to death. But they do at least here acknowledge Rome's rule. They, they can't put anyone to death. Why is this significant? I mean, they could have taken Pilate's words here, take him and judge him according to your law. They could have taken that as a, you know, a one-time exception. Okay, Pilate said, judge him according to our law. Let's, let's go stone him. But it's significant that they didn't. Why? Because of verse 32. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which He spoke, signifying by what death He would die. Jesus gave the analogy to Nicodemus in chapter 3 that just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to be turned over to the Jews, and they are going to turn me over to the Gentiles for execution. In John chapter 12, He said, The Son of Man must be lifted up. If Jesus had been stoned, He would not have been put to death the way He predicted He would be put to death. If Jesus had not been lifted up 
on a cross. If He had not been crucified, He would have been wrong and considered just another false prophet. I've told you just a week or two ago that everything that happens in these chapters about Jesus' suffering, His trial, His execution, you can see it all across these pages. He is in perfect and complete control. Jesus not only knew that He was going to die, but He knew how He might die. If He had had His bones crushed by the stones when the Jews would carry out their own punishment, He would not have been the Son of God. He would not have been the sacrifice for sinners. It seems insignificant, this little verse, but I promise you, it is of utmost importance. Jesus knew how He would die. And even in the carrying out of His own execution, His words were fulfilled. We can trust Jesus' words. Look at verse 33. Pilate's had his conversation with the Jews. Now he goes in to question Jesus. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to Him, Are you... The king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Now when Pilate says, Are are you the king of the Jews? The emphasis in, in the Greek text is on the word you. Are you the king of the Jews? Really? You're the one who's causing all this problem? They're all worked up and in a frenzy over you? You're the king? You know, Isaiah told us that when the Messiah would come, he wouldn't be much to look at. He's just an average Joe or an average Jew. He's just a carpenter. Are, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the one that's stirring up all this strife? And Jesus says, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? A couple of things Jesus is doing here, just like back in the passage we looked at last week, He's calling for witnesses. You can't convict someone on hearsay. Do, do you really think that I'm a Jew? Is this your accusation or did you just hear it? But also, I think he's pointing out the tension between Pilate and the Jews. I mean, are you really concerned about this, Pilate? Or are you just being pushed around by those Jews outside? Did others tell you this concerning me? Verse 35, Pilate gets a little defensive. He says, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? I'm not a Jew. What does, this, what does this matter to me? It's your own nation who's against you. Your own chief priests who are against you. And that may be one of the most painful parts of Jesus' suffering. That He came to His own and His own did not receive Him. John said that in chapter 1, didn't he? He was in the world. The world was made through Him and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own received Him not. 
The Creator of the world comes into the world and they deliver Him up to be crucified. Even those of His own bloodline have turned against Him. Pilate says, what have you done? Jesus answers, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Now Jesus isn't saying that He isn't king over this world or that His kingdom doesn't include the happenings of this world. Of course, He rules over all creation. His universal kingdom encompasses all that exists. But as far as this messianic kingdom, this promised kingdom that the Jews were looking forward to, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. That is, it, is not, it does not originate in this world. It is not the kind of kingdom like you have in this world, Pilate. My kingdom is not like Rome. My kingdom does not come about by force like yours does. My kingdom is not established by violence and bloodshed. My kingdom is not of this world. What did you do wrong, Jesus? Well, my kingdom's not of this world. You know, if his kingdom had have been of this world, if his kingdom had met the expectations of the Jews, Jesus says it right. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. The Jews outside would not be trying to get you to kill me. The Jews outside would be banging the door down to make sure you don't. All Jesus had to do a week earlier when He rode into Jerusalem on His donkey, they're all crying, Hosanna! Hosanna to the King, the Son of David! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! All Jesus had to do was say, Take up arms! Ready yourselves to fight! We're ridding this world of Rome! And they would have rallied behind their King and marched into battle proudly. Had His kingdom been of this world, Jesus would not be on His knees before Pilate. Jesus came to do something else first. He came to forgive sin. To grant access to His kingdom. His kingdom doesn't originate in this world, but it will one day consume the nations of this world. Revelation 11.15 says, Then the seventh angel sounded. There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. One day His kingdom will be in this world. One day His kingdom will conquer. One day all the nations and powers and leaders of this world will fall. They will be destroyed. They will bow before the one true King. Pilate will be the one on his knees. He could have embraced the crowd. He could have mobilized them to fight. The Jewish leaders may have embraced Him if He had come that way. Pilate says, what have you done? And Jesus says, my kingdom isn't of this world. That's the problem they have with me. Verse 37, Pilate says, are you a king then? 
You know, he, just, he doesn't care about the rest of the stuff Jesus says. He's just kind of zeroed in on that, that king business. So, so are you a king? I mean, because if, if you think you're a king, then that might be a threat. Jesus says, you said it. You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Jesus refers here to both His humanity and His deity. He says, for this cause I was born. He's acknowledging that He came into this world as a human being. He was born a baby in Bethlehem. He says, and for this reason I came into this world. He was someplace else and He entered the world. He's acknowledging His deity, His pre-existence, His eternal existence. And He says, I came for this one reason, that I should bear witness to the truth. Not to have an earthly kingdom, at least not yet, but to make the truth known. Jesus didn't come to conquer Rome. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to make the truth about God known to those who were separated from God. Jesus came to preach the truth. His kingdom is a kingdom of truth. He Himself, as the King, is truth. He said it in chapter 14, I am the way. I am the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He came not to establish His kingdom on earth, but to make people who hear and know the truth. He came to make a people who were people of the truth. We call it the church, by the way. Jesus came to die for sinners, to forgive sins, to remove guilt, to reconcile man and God. He came first to call those who hear His voice, those who know the truth. And Pilate says in verse 38, what is truth? That's a question that has plagued generations. What is truth? Now, I don't think that Pilate was genuinely asking Jesus to explain the truth to him. You know, Jesus, what is the truth? Could you you teach me? Could you help me? No, he's simply scoffing as he marches out of the room. When he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. At all. You have to ask yourself the question, I think, like Pilate, what is truth? But you must ask it genuinely. Your heart naturally isn't open to the truth. Your sinful flesh doesn't like the truth. It doesn't like God's Word. Jesus came to open eyes, to open hearts and ears that the truth may be heard and seen and received. 
What is the truth? I'll just tell you, Jesus is the truth. And then Pilate, this pagan Gentile governor, comes out and says, I find no fault in him at all. In an an indirect way, I guess, Pilate declares the sinlessness of Christ. So what, what week is it again here in this passage? It's Passover. People are finding lambs to sacrifice. They have to be good lambs. They can't have, be the crippled ones. They can't be the ugly ones. They can't be the ones that nobody wants. They have to find the good lamb. The one without blemish. The one without spot. The pure lamb. And that lamb is carried to the priest to be sacrificed to cover sins until next year. But Pilate comes out and declares from his own perspective the sinlessness of the perfect and holy Lamb of God. That's how the book began. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. And while these hypocrites, (laughs) these Pharisees, these religious leaders are concerned with outward cleanliness and making sure that they can keep the rituals and keep the Passover, Jesus Himself comes as the truly pure and righteous sacrifice for sinners. He is the truth. He is sinless. Jesus came, and He has a kingdom, yes. But He came first to make people able to become citizens of that kingdom. He will establish His kingdom, but without knowing His truth and believing it and trusting in His sinless, spotless sacrifice, you will not have access to that kingdom. You're a sinner. You offend God. You deserve punishment. But Jesus loved you. And died for you. He went through this mess of a trial for you. To die as your substitute. You deserve to die. But Jesus died for you. And on the third day He rose from the dead. So that if you will repent, turn away from your sin, turn away from your self-righteousness. And cling to His righteousness. Put your trust in Jesus as your only hope for salvation. And He will forgive you. You may ask, what is truth? Jesus is the truth. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He's the King. and He's the Lamb. Trust Him. Would you stand as we pray? Father, we thank You again for Your Word. And what it reveals to us about You. You have not left us in the dark to wander around and hope that maybe one day we can find You. 
but You have sent Your Son to deliver the truth to us. We don't have to wonder what the truth is because You've revealed it. You've revealed Yourself in Your Son. May we trust Him. I pray in His name. Amen.